Good Friday is one of those days where, at least for me, throughout the day, I just continue to reflect, and as this whole week has been going on, about the gravity of what occurred in this world because of God our Father and the love he had for us through his Son, Jesus Christ, and this gift of the Holy Spirit that allows us to live. These past weeks, as we've been meeting together around this series called Crosswords, I've been, I've been talking about theological words that have a practical application in everyday life, where someone suffers to put you in a better place, or someone experiences pain so that you might gain. They invest, they take a hit. Words like we've talked about covenant, someone kept a promise even when it hurt. Redemption, someone's paid a price to set another free. And last week we talked about reconciliation, someone forgives to restore relationship. And tonight we're going to be talking about a word, a Good Friday word, a word often used in the word of God, and it's not one of those that's so far removed from us. It's the word sacrifice. Someone surrenders something prized or desirable to help another or others. And unlike the theological words like covenant, redemption, reconciliation, expiation, propitiation, all these kind of shun words, sacrifice is a bit more common in our culture. In parenting, we talk about sacrificing sleep, right? In baseball, you advance a runner through a sacrifice bunt or a sacrifice fly. In dieting, you sacrifice dessert and chocolate, or at least you should. In working out, you sacrifice some present comfort for some pain in order to gain. In marriage, in our marriage, uh, my wife sacrifices when I say, I don't need a map. Um, You know, very simple ways you all sacrifice for one another. But by sacrifice, we're talking about some act we do at the cost and at a cost for some future good or some future benefit for others or even ourselves or someone you love. And all the usages um, bring out the idea in our modern usage of it of deprivation of some kind or another. But the word sacrifice, if you think about it, it means cost. It, I mean, at its heart, it's this idea of cost. One theologian writes this way, sacrifice is a term we use quite often today, but in a very different sense from the way that the ancients used it. We dimly realize that once there were people who literally offered animals in sacrifice to their gods. The idea of cost or deprivation is certainly involved in the way the people in the Bible used the expression, but they normally had a a more specific idea in mind. And so during the time of Christ especially up to about 70 A.D., when the temple was destroyed, and then for thousands of years before that, the word sacrifice didn't have just a metaphorical kind of abstract meaning, like cost or deprivation or suffering of some kind. The word sacrifice had a very particular meaning to the ancients. They thought of, especially those of a Jewish background, they thought of a sacrifice which was actually offered at the temple. It was a very concrete, very real physical thing. 
And there's all kinds of sacrifices they would bring. They would bring bulls and goats and lambs and birds and fruits and cereals and liquids. At one point in one of the New Testament letters, Paul even writes that he's being offered as a drink sacrifice or offering. But the point's really simple. And what I want you to think about for just these few minutes is that sacrifice in the ancient mind meant something very specific. The word meant something very particular for a Jewish person. It was actually rooted in their very lifestyle. Every child watched their parents prepare and offer a literal sacrifice to God. And it wasn't some kind of metaphorical or abstract concept. It was a very concrete, actual, real, physical, material thing, such that they actually experienced it. They saw it. They heard it. They touched it. They smelled it. They tasted it even. It was a full-body experience when they talked about sacrifice. Children and adults knew this command because they only had to turn to the book of Leviticus and and they knew the command from God around this whole idea of sacrifices. They were instructed, in fact, very uh, precisely in how they were to give a sacrifice. If you go through Leviticus, there's directions again and again on how a sinful person could enter into and even have a friendship with a holy God. So holy that they would not even mention his name. They didn't dare to speak his name. They understood that this holy God had sinful people in Leviticus who would bring sacrifices. Listen to this, if you would, to Leviticus chapter 1. If you want to open a Bible, I'm going to read from the Living Bible. You may just want to hear it. Verses 1 through 9. It says, right from the very beginning, too, chapter 1, verse 1. The Lord now spoke to Moses from the tabernacle and commanded him to give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you sacrifice to the Lord, use animals for your herds and flocks. If your sacrifice is to be an ox as a burnt offering, use only a bull with no physical defects. Bring the animal to the entrance of the tabernacle where the priest will accept your gift for the Lord. The person bringing it is to lay his hand upon its head and then it becomes a substitute. The death of the animal will be accepted by God instead of the death of a man who brings it as a penalty for his sins. And the man shall then kill the animal before the Lord and Aaron's sons... And the priests will present the blood before the Lord, sprinkling it upon all the sides of the altar at the entrance of the tabernacle. And then the priests will skin the animal and quarter it and build a wood fire upon the altar and put the sections of the animal and its head and the fat upon the wood. And the internal organs and the legs are to be washed. And then the priests will burn them upon the altar and they will be an acceptable burnt offering with which the Lord is pleased, or in some translations it says it more this way, it is a burnt offering, a food offering, or an an aroma pleasing to God. And the whole idea of sacrifice was a very earthy thing. Life then, more so than today, was dirty, it was smelly, it was ugly, it was raw, it was gross, and it was often unattractive. Not necessarily the way that we live day to day. In fact, there are books today that will go out that are actually stating, like there's a book called Good Gut, and it will tell you that in it, 
Um, your gut will produce and, and digest food better if it has some bacteria rather than getting rid of all the bacteria, which we've always thought is being bad. But if you're not in the dirt and you're doing some of these other things, you don't get some of those bacteria. And, and it talks about a culture in some ways that have almost become too clean. And one of the benefits in, in our family of raising our kids on a hobby farm was because they actually got to experience the rawness of life. That's one of the things I liked about being on a hobby farm versus a suburb. I grew up in the suburbs, and we moved out to this hobby farm kind of thing, and I'm starting to learn what this is like. And man, on a hobby farm, if you have a little barn, you go down there, you, it smells if you have animals. <clears throat> and I, I, I don't even realize it. I'll come in the house sometimes, and my wife will go, you know, your jacket smells like barn. I remember being at her, at her father's house, who he was a dairy farmer, and, um, and, and you could, you know, they'd go right downstairs and, and take, the, you know, take the smell off. But as we were there with our kids, one of the things I loved about this, this kind of life, it was earthy in the sense that they actually saw animals. They saw animals, and we still see them at our house, so we have some kittens if you need them. Anyway, um, being birthed, that's kind of gross. That's a little bit raw. And, and we would see um, animals that would die and experience all those things that so often people don't get in, a, in an antiseptic kind of culture. And years ago, a sacrifice and all the ugliness and unattractiveness that would go around it um, in slaughtering animal was never far from their experience. I remember when I took a group of people to Ethiopia and we went to the, to the western edge by Sudan, only miles from Sudan, in this area that was very primitive. In fact, they wanted this group that we were going with called Food for the Hungry to go in and help, in a sense, civilize it. And when we went there, we came and, and when we, I, I just don't remember exactly what it was, but I remember when we came, I think it was early, there was a goat tied to a tree and we went inside and we were talking, etc. And then we heard a yelp and a cry, <clears throat> weren't sure what was going on. And later that night, we had a really nice kind of like a stew kind of thing with this meat in it, and we were told that that goat was our meat. And I, we had high school kids there, and they're going like, I don't know if I'm eating that. That was the common experience in that day. Okay? It was, it was close to them. This word sacrifice was much more meaningful due to their sensory experience. Not only did they live with it, but the requirements prescribed in Leviticus brought out the cost in ways that I don't, I don't fully appreciate and I don't know if we fully appreciate. So I want to walk you through kind of six stages of what happened in a sacrifice in that day in the Old Testament when you look at Leviticus and there's six key elements that happen, sometimes just five, depending on some of the sacrifices, because there's so many different ones, but especially around animal sacrifices. The first step is what is called bringing near. The worshiper would draw near with the animal he proposed to offer. And it might seem obvious that that's the step, but to a Hebrew, that was a significant action. In fact, the actual word in the Hebrew for sacrifice means to draw near. It means that you, with your, your sinfulness and your gift, are coming close to God. And that's why when you read Leviticus 1, it says, when you sacrifice the Lord, when you, really the word means draw near to the Lord, but it becomes sacrifice as a technical term over the years. 
The whole idea of sacrificing is that you were drawing near in your sinfulness. And so the very first thing is that you would, you would select this, this gift, this offering, and you would bring it in order to get close to God, who is fully holy. You, a sinful person. It was a very personal action. It, 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 you just couldn't drop off um, your sacrifice like you drop your money in the offering plate. You, you couldn't do auto-deduct, you know, just pick one out of the... You had to bring it. You had to draw near. You had to understand that you and your sinfulness were drawing near to a holy God. And the next step is the laying on of the hands. Common in all the sacrifices. You draw near, and now it even becomes more personal. You not only bring your offering, but you actually place your hand on its head prior to its death. Leviticus 1.4 says you are to lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on your behalf to make atonement for you. And the verb for the word to lay means to actually lean on the animal. It, it was this idea of firm contact. It was not some kind of casual. You, you couldn't just kind of bring the animal and just kind of go like this. It was you were to lean. In fact, one of the words for trust is the idea you lean. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on the Lord with all your heart. There's a sense that you're leaning on. So you brought this thing. You're coming near to God and you're leaning on the sacrifice you brought. And the worshiper in doing that was identifying with the offering. And the action is basically saying, this, as he's saying to the priest and to his God, is my sacrifice. This is the animal I'm offering. And there was a transfer that was taking place. And as the worshiper laid his hand and leaned against the animal, he also then confessed his sin. So that it would be upon this which would be given and he would be free of its guilt and its shame. And after drawing near and then laying one's hand on the this, this sacrifice, the next part came, which was... It's the part that's hard for many of us. It was the killing of the animal. The animal was, was slaughtered by the worshiper. Now again, in that culture, they had done it because they would do it for, for their meals and things like that, so it was closer to their experience. But they were coming, <clears throat> they had just laid all their sin on that animal, and they actually slaughtered this animal. Leviticus 1.5 follows what it says in verse 4, where we had read about laying your hands on, and states this, you are to slaughter the young bull before the Lord, or if it was a lamb or whatever was being brought. And this gave a symbolic expression to his recognition, the worshiper's recognition, that his sin merited the severest punishment it meant life and he himself then performed the act which he himself deserved due to his sin and then after that there is as the the animal is slaughtered there's a collecting of the blood there's a sprinkling there's the 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 um, taking of the blood and up to now the worshiper has done everything and at this point the priest collects the blood proceeds as an intermediary between the worshiper and God. So now the priest takes over and takes the blood. And he takes that blood and he begins to sprinkle it, sprinkling it all over, sprinkling it as a way of showing that there is a cleansing that's taking place because this life has been given for your life. And at this point, as the priest takes over and the blood of the sacrifice is spilled and different sacrifices had different procedures when it came to the sprinkling of blood... um, it's really interesting, in the, in the Hebrew, there's a word dom, and that word dom is used some, th- uh, I think it's um, 362 times in the Old Testament, and 203 times it's used with the idea that there is a, 
there is this um, violence that takes place. Death is with violence when the word blood is used. And theologian Leon Morris says, we simply note that the solemnity of the sin offering, which had many times, you sprinkled it seven times, which was the one most believed was before God. There's a sin offering versus the guilt before other people. It, it was heightened by an elaborate blood ritual. And this must have the effect, he writes, of making it plain that sin could not be taken lightly. And then there's a burning of that offering on the altar. Some part of the animal was burnt on the altar. A part of it was God's portion. And the smoke, as you would see it, you know, as you put something on there, you would see the smoke rise. And, and it's that sense that it, it, it rose heavenward. It, it, it left this aroma. And you would smell the aroma, the good smell of, of that meat, that it was pleasing to God. In your heart, you're going, this is good. God is forgiving. And then there's a disposal of what's left. And in the burnt offering, the only thing that's left is the hide. And, and the different sacrifices, different, certain other things would be left. And, and some of it would be burnt on that as a portion to God. Some the priests would take. And at times when it was a more joyful thing, the people themselves would eat parts of that sacrifice and, and would celebrate in a festival for joy. But as you run through these steps, this was an elaborate and striking ritual done many times throughout the year. The entire sacrificial approach emphasized the personal cost. They would experience all that it meant. And in it, they would also experience the grace and mercy of God. That they could draw near. That they could be in his presence as the hope that would be something they would always experience. And just as this is helpful and could be meaningful, it also could lose significance because you could just go through the motions and it could become like rote and it could become mechanical, so much so that at one point, David, as years of sacrifices have been done, writes in Psalm 40, sacrifice and offering God is not what you're desiring. Burnt offerings and sin offerings, that's not what you really require. And David continues, what God you desire is a heart that desires you. And it was the heart that was given with the sacrifice that mattered greatly. Now, I, I say all this, and I'm going to conclude this, because here's kind of the back, that's the backdrop. This earthy, raw, bringing a sacrifice, living with this kind of stuff in, in, in that world of dirty and smelly and <clears throat> blood, and, and they bring this offering and this sacrifice, and they draw near to God. And now listen to John, the Apostle John, in the Gospel of John. And John the Baptist is in the wilderness, and he's preparing for the coming of the Anointed One. They're waiting for the Anointed One. They're waiting for him to be introduced. He's baptizing them, and and, and one day he sees Jesus. And as Jesus steps forward on the stage of history, and as he begins his mission, this is what he's come for. He's now ready to step into play. To fulfill what God had called him to do. And John the baptizer calls out, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That meant something. Behold, look, I want you all to look right over there as as this man's coming. That's the Lamb. And it's really interesting in John's gospel, he often will use. His words and ways would mean two different things. <clears throat> like in the beginning, 
He, he talks about in the beginning was God and with God. In the beginning means in the beginning of history, or it could mean, as he says, at the root of the universe. It could mean those two things. Or, or at one point he says that, that, that Nicodemus came and, and Jesus said you need to be born again, or, or it could mean you need to be born from above. He, he does that purposely because in his words he wants the fullness, and so he purposely does it. Here he says the Lamb of God, and, and, the, and, and it's a genitive of God, which could mean God's special Lamb, or it could be the one that God himself prepared and has given so that you could draw near. And what's so amazing about the Lamb of God, of Jesus, is that he, he's the perfect worshiper who one night in a garden begins to pray and sweats blood and says, God, if it could be a different way. And it wasn't, the, it wasn't about death even so much. It wasn't the physical death. It was the sin that would be poured upon him. And if there's a, just a different way, God, three times he, he pleads to God. And, I don't, and you don't get really an answer from his father. And he just says, whatever your will be done. And he walks out and he, the perfect worshiper, without sin, draws near to God. Is hoisted onto a cross. And is your lamb. And he says, take the weight of all you are and just lean on to Jesus. That's all you need to do. It's not about you doing something for him. It's not about you trying to get your life a little bit more cleaned up. He'll do that for you if you just lean on to Jesus. It's just say, this is my sacrifice, Father. You provided it even. And I just, I identify, and this is my sin, it's for my sin. Tonight, what we're looking at, what we're talking about is, is a very earthy expression of God. This is my life placed on this life, and I'm going to live in that life, and I'm going to receive all the grace and mercy that you have poured out on your son, and your son I know is perfect, never did a thing wrong, and you look at me like that now. You look at, he looks at you without any sin. This sacrifice, says Hebrews, was perfect. It was effective in every way. It was final, never having to be done again. It was eternal. It will never end. You and I experienced the grace of God every moment because of what happened. And we're going to take communion, and it's a very earthy thing. I love it that Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Every time you eat it, it's an expression again. It's not something happened. It's a symbol, just like those sacrifices before were a symbol of the real thing that happened in history. And you take it, and you take into yourself the fact that this, this Jesus is yours, and you digest into yourself this grace that comes from God. And I love... These words in Hebrews. So friends, as you come to the table here in a moment, we can now, without hesitation, walk right into the presence of God, into the holy place. Jesus has cleared the way by the blood of his sacrificing, acting as our priest before God. The curtain into God's presence is his body. So let's draw near to God tonight full of a belief, confident and sincere that we're presentable inside and out. Let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. He always keeps his word. You have not done something that he has not forgiven you for. Let us consider then how we encourage one another 
to love others and to help as many people as we can, sacrificing our lives, our time, our thoughts, our prayers, our money, our abilities, our very lives for the benefit of others, just as Jesus did. You get to sacrifice. Not complaining and, and, and with the spirit of, oh, just, this is so hard, but with the spirit of thanksgiving because of what you did for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to experience some pain in these weeks to come for someone else that they might gain. And remember, says Hebrews, and I, I, it's a little bit my translation here, in this busy world we live in, do not avoid worshiping together as some do, but spur each other on, especially as we see God's great day approaching. We need one another. So we're going to take communion. And I want you to lean into Jesus and receive his forgiveness and his grace. And we're going to have you come from, you're going to come out the left side, your left side. You're going to come around from each of these areas and you'll come around and, and then come out and go into, you know, just go around like this, guys, okay? <laughs> and I make it real difficult. And someone will serve you. Please take it, receive it. And there's a place to dispose of the cups. And then, and then there will be someone. If you, if you are not able to come forward, we actually have a couple people. Um, John Andrew Habeisen will, will you put your hand up if you would like to be served where you're at. For whatever reason, we'll make sure we get communion to you. Okay? Let us pray. Father, your son said, into your hands I commit my spirit. Tonight we say, into your hands we commit ourselves. Body, soul, and spirit with our full heart, sincere, confident that we are completely clean inside and out because of this incredible, historic night that we celebrate that happened in history the actual, material, real sacrifice on our behalf. Amen.